It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello everyone, I'm Carmen Herbert and welcome to Doing Good. Today I am so excited to have one of my dearest friends, really like a sister friend, on the show with me. Her name is Sandra Turley. And I just feel so blessed. And I also may be a little bad for listeners because we'll probably talk <laughs> a long time about things like inside jokes and things like that. So Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. I'm crying already, but Aww. I will for the rest of the time. I love you. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> I will too. I love you too. And it's it's funny, Sandra and I met doing Time Out for Girls events with Deseret Book and have traveled the country together speaking and had the opportunity to sing a song from Wicked um, for good. And honestly, since then, we've just become bosom friends. I, we've often said we're the same person, like living parallel lives on opposite sides of the country. We have so many similarities. You're better than I am for sure. Right. But, <laughs> but, that one <laughs> <laughs> but you are like, you're just, it just, there's those people that you meet in life that you feel like, oh, we were, we were really close and, and we're meant to be really close. And even if we haven't talked in a long time. I mean, sometimes it's been years with life and babies and motherhood and things. We just pick right back up. And so we, I do, but we, we could have been very much the opposite. And we've said that too, to each other, because yeah. there, it, we do do so many similar things that we could have been like rivals. Yeah. Yeah. Really bad rivals. So I'm glad that we chose this way. <laughs> I'm so glad that we chose this way too. It's much better to be friends than it to be <laughs> to be enemies. But how could you ever not be your friend? Sandra is the most beautiful, down-to-earth, authentic person. And I don't say that lightly. You really are. And you make people want to be with you and learn from you. You you never have an air of competition like, oh, and 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 people could be very easily intimidated by you because you are so talented, as I'm going to read in your bio in just a second. But you don't. You just invite people in in a way that's so genuine that that makes people feel better about themselves when they're with you. So Thank that's you. one of the reasons I love you so much. So now I get to read your bio and tell everyone why they should be really jealous of you. <laughs> but then they'll listen to you and realize, oh my goodness, she's amazing. Aww. So you started, your 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 whole career began basically when you performed the role of Cosette in Les Mis on Broadway in New York City. And you were part of the original closing cast, which we're going to talk about. You were also invited to perform the role of Cosette in Shanghai, China, their premiere of The Les Mis alongside Broadway star Colm Wilkinson. And Sandra has performed several of her songs on, on at Time Out for Women and Girls from Les Mis. And it's just, it's like, it's like otherworldly to hear you sing, especially as Cosette. It's just incredible. And I went to New York in 2002 and that's when you would have been on stage, it, right? It, and we exactly. Yep. And we saw Les Mis. And I remember seeing you for the first time, but you had a big brown curly ringlet <laughs> wig on. <laughs> so sure when did. I so when I saw you in person, Sandra has blonde hair like I do. It was weird to piece like, wait a minute, I think I've seen you somewhere before. And I know that I was there. And it oh, was sure. and it was my first Broadway play I've ever seen. And it was in New York and it was Les Miserables. And it was, was my first Broadway show as well. But I was <gasps> 13 when I saw it because I grew up in Connecticut and my parents, we drove down 
to the city to see a show. The three girls and my mom saw Les Mis and the three boys and my dad went to a Yankees game. <laughs> but <laughs> by the end of seeing that show, I was just weeping and saying, I'm going to do that someday. And it really was one of those r- truly tr- transcendent experiences. It's such a good show. It is such a good show and the most beautiful story. And I, I think that's incredible. I want to talk about that, how you kind of had this foresight into what you would be doing someday as a 13 year old. That's gives me chills. That's amazing. So you received your BFA from BYU and one of your favorite stage experiences was performing as Ariel in Disney world. How fun is that? That's so darling. And I and, and, I could totally see you doing that, but, and with red hair, right? With red hair. I just changed my hair color. (laughs) That is just awesome. You've sang several events in, in Washington DC area for religious and political dignitaries, as well as performed with OUR and Steve Young's Forever Young Foundation events. You've recorded two albums for Shadow Mountain Records. One of them, Sandra Turley on Broadway and the other Inside My Soul, which are both beautiful. Um, And then from 2012 to 2016, which is when I met you, you performed across the country as a motivational singer and speaker for Desert Books Time Out for Women and then made your musical producing debut in 2018 with the Washington, D.C. premiere of Rob Gardner's Lamb of God. Sandra, you and your husband have been married for 21 years and you live in Maryland where you have four incredible, amazing, talented children that are following in your footsteps, especially mm-hmm. your oldest little daughter, which is so crazy that she's now doing what you're doing. It's amazing to watch your children's talents blossom and become. I really underestimated that as a young mom. I was like, oh, they're so cute. And now they're just getting a little bit older. I'm like, it blows my mind what they're capable of doing. And I'm sure that's how our heavenly father feels about watching us discover our talents and do what we were supposed to do or what we were guided to do in this life. I agree. I think it's so fun watching my boys really find what they're good at and then become really good mm-hmm. and, 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 and thrive. I'm like, wow, I, this is something I love and I'm good at this and watching their talents For flourish. Sure. So let's talk about Broadway. So 13 years old, you saw Les Mis and you thought, this is going to be me. Did you think specifically this is going to be me in the show or I want to be on Broadway doing this someday? It was specifically Les Mis. It was such um, a really clear experience, but nothing that like at 13 that you could say, well, God told me I'm going to be in that show when I'm older. It just, it felt comfortable. It felt home. It felt right to, to be there in the audience and to consider myself very clearly being on that stage one day. So how does one go about auditioning for a Broadway mm. show? One can go about that very many different ways. <laughs> I will tell you the the way this one did it, which um, was a whole heck of a lot of luck, a lot of hard work, but a lot of luck, which I guess is a, uh, oftentimes the way these things roll. Basically the music industry. Yes, yep. absolutely. Right. So I just, I trained all growing up um, and loved theater, loved music, uh, had a wonderful voice teachers, went to BYU, got my first, well, went at at BYU. I thought I was going to be the top dog and that everyone's going to think I'm amazing. I auditioned for all of their shows. I was in the musical theater program, but I so thought I was good enough, auditioned for all the shows at BYU and didn't get into pretty much anything. Didn't get into any of the performing groups. Yeah. It was all like, ah, no thanks. And then Disney came and auditioned at, on BYU campus because where else can you find a million 
people that just look squeaky clean and, and super talented. Utah yes. has like a crazy so, yes pool to choose so from. much, right? And and they said yes. So that was one of my first big yeses where it kind of confirmed to me that the talent that I thought I had and I had cultivated was going to be good enough to help other people and to be marketable and hireable. So I did Disney for a year met my husband, not at Disney, but during that year of living in Orlando. And we went back to Utah as a married couple. And that's when then Les Mis held an open audition in Salt Lake City. And everybody in Utah came. I went as well. And uh, I auditioned one day. They called me back the next day for the role of Cosette. I went home thought that was really cool that I auditioned for Les Mis and really kind of left it alone and said, at least I auditioned. I never even knew how that was going to happen, but I did it. I auditioned. And then it was about two months later, if I remember right, when I got the phone call saying, there's an opening. We want you to move. Come here to New York City. We're hiring you to be in Les Mis. And so we did. We moved from Provo, Utah to New York City and started it, started the whole thing. And you originally thought you would play the role of Eponine. Is oh, that right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to be Eponine? Everybody wants to be Eponine. She's so tragic and she's in the love triangle and we're yes. like, oh, I feel you, girl. And I just, oh, yes. And we and all her belty song. songs. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when I was like preparing for the audition, I prepared for the role of Eponine and then, and then really had a very strong prompting, spiritual feeling like you need to audition for Cosette. So I just flipped around and said, okay, I'm leaving my my belty side away, my eponine character away. And I'm here's my top high note soprano role. And I went in and I think purely because of that, because I went in for a role that not as many girls were going in for, I got it. And we have to talk about that for a minute because you, for those of you who who don't know, you have to be so talented vocally to be able to just say, oh, I'm just going to switch <laughs> and audition because they are they're Eponine, the roles of Eponine and Cosette are sung from very different parts in your voices. You have the low belty, angsty mix voice. And then Cosette, like you said, is your high falsetto operatic. I mean, sung from a completely different part in your voice. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to just do that and switch, had you been trained classically and, you know, with the pop or more of the, you know, Broadway style, had you been trained both ways? So it was yeah. for you or did you feel like, oh, this might be kind of a stretch to say? No, I had, yeah, I had been very, very well trained and I would say not trained. I would say tricked. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, in, in high school, I just, with my high school teacher, I was like, I am never going to sing opera. That's disgusting. It's for old people and it's boring. <laughs> and and so I was only going to come in and sing the belty songs. I wanted Broadway, but I only sing belt. And yeah. my voice teacher just each week kept on having me do the classical vocalizing. And by my senior year of high school, he had given me a cassette tape, which makes me sound really old. And I'm not that old, but he <gasps> did give me tape. a cassette tape to put. I put it into my car with a whole bunch of soprano arias. I stuck it in and I started just making fun of it. And yeah, singing along in my car and making fun of it. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can do I this. Can do this. <laughs> so he tricked me, but <gasps> thank goodness he tricked me and he saw or heard something in me that I did not 
no. And because of that, I continued then my training with both, you know, all the sides of my voice and trying to make them seem together from top to bottom. But yeah, I, you know, it was a possibility for me to be like, no, I want to be Eponine or I want to be Cosette. Today, I'm going to audition for Cosette. Okay. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. And how grateful are we for people and teachers and coaches that can see things in us that we don't see in mm, ourselves for sure. and push us just a little bit out of our comfort zone and look at it changed the whole trajectory of your life. That's it incredible. It did. So you get to New York, you're Cosette on Broadway. What was it like your opening night when you step out on stage and you flash back to that 13 year old girl self and now mm. you're on the opposite side what was that feeling like? Like, oh my gosh, I did it. I'm did here. It. Right. And it was just, it was shaking. It was every part of my body just shaking and shaking with excitement and shaking with a true spiritual gratitude. Like, thank you. Like, this is what I dreamed. And this is what I thought would be something you would want me to do because it's a great way for me to use my talent. And you let me do this. And you brought me to this place. And it was a, it, it was shaking, shaking with all, all of that emotion. Oh, mm. How incredible. Now you had some opportunities as a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share not only your incredible talent, talent with hundreds and hundreds of people every night that came to your play, but also with your cast about your faith. Do you have any experiences where you were able to talk about what you represent and who you are and how that blessed the lives of your fellow cast members? Oh my goodness. Every day, every day. So let me start, let me start on stage and then I'll do backstage on Perfect. stage. On stage, if anybody's familiar with the story of Lamez, it is inherently spiritual. There is, is no way that that show was written that the book or the show or the movie, any iteration of it that you've experienced, there's no way any of it could have been written without direct divine guidance. Yes. Because there are so many of Christ's principles, doctrinal religious principles in it that are weaved in and out. So as I was on stage every single night, it just, it felt like I was sharing testimony in, in a really unique and powerful and beautiful story told way. And my favorite sound every night was not what came from the stage. It was at the end of the show, what I heard as the role of Cosette, I would run in right to the front of the stage and sit at the foot, the feet of my dying father, Jean Valjean. And there's just soft music playing. Everything's a bit quiet and tender. And I would hear my favorite sound every single night, which was all of the sniffling in the audience and the tissue packages being passed from person to person. And you, I just, I knew that there was transcendent spiritual experiences happening in the souls and the spirits of anybody who wanted to come and connect to that show and to learn a little bit, that people were leaving better and leaving maybe closer to their, their spiritual selves maybe even leaving closer to God, maybe even leaving closer to Jesus Christ, oh, which is incredible. That really is incredible. And it's incredible that you can create a moment and be on stage in this story and yet still be connected mm -hmm. to the audience. And, yes. and, and you're all, there's nothing like live theater, right? There's nothing because you're all experiencing it together. The performers and the audience watching a movie is, is amazing and fascinating. There's beautiful artwork and, and it can trans, it can transport you to and, and be transcendent. But 
being in a theater where you're the energy from everyone's mm. spirits and souls all mixed together, there really is nothing like it. My very favorite line that you've shared from Les Mis that goes along with feeling closer to God is, and you shared this mm-hmm. on stage many times, to love another person is to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that. I mean, I've, I've heard the music so many times, but when you shared that, I, I never really, it never hit me like it did then mm-hmm. to love another person is to see the face of God. Did you feel like these cast members truly became like family to you? Yes. So to love the people backstage was to see the face of God as well. So backstage, we were just a, I I think theater just draws misfits and we're all like the weirder we are. We're like, come on in. Welcome to the family. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, when I joined the cast, I was just, you know, especially back then, 20 years ago when the term Mormon was widely used. Yes. I was the Mormon misfit. I was like, okay, sure. Welcome in. Some some, but I would say just a few, were not as welcoming of me because they may have studied what they thought I believed and what they believed my church believed. But I feel like my my hope, as soon as I began my friendships with those friends in particular, was just to let them know that I love them just the same way I love any other human in the world, that there is no judgment from me towards anybody else. We're all just here on earth doing the best darn job we can. Yes. And I, I don't hold any of my beliefs on top of anybody else's head. What I'm choosing to believe is just for me. And having said that, like every single day that I walked into that theater, there were so many, Sandra, why do you believe this? Sandra, what about this? Sandra, what about this? And there were often times where I was fairly quick for a, an answer. Other times where I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm going to have to go home and study that one and I'll get back to you. And I did. I would go home and study and then and then come back to my friend and say, you remember when you asked me that? Well, here's what I kind of found out. So it was a really growing experience for me to be able to field questions, probably very much like it is to be serving a full time mission, which I did not do. But I feel like I absolutely did. I felt the same way with my experiences on American Idol, Mm -hmm. same kind of thing with the questions. And I look back at my little 18 year old self and I think, oh, my goodness, how was I able to do that? But, and I know that it's, I had help from the Holy ghost. I mean, it was just answers would come to my mind. I I was able to explain things in a way that made sense that I thought, I mean, I was still growing my testimony and I was still becoming who I would be and, and learning spiritually and growing. And, and so sometimes I had to think, why do I believe in dressing modestly? Why is this like, oh, this is what our church teaches, but really why is this important to me? So I can be honest and true with my answers and not, oh, I go along with this, which I believe in obedience. Absolutely. And sometimes you do obey not knowing why, like Nephi, when he's like, I know not, say the Lord commanded me. There's a lot of times I know not, except I was commanded. But there were other times when I'm like, I really need to figure out why this is important to me. Mm-hmm. so I can share it with them. Mm-hmm. You you had a beautiful experience one time that you talk about where you had a fellow cast member come to you and say something along the lines of, I've never felt more accepted by, by someone than you. Do you remember that? You shared an experience where they said, I had, I had always felt like people of your church would not accept me and you have made me change my mind on that. 
I think that this might be the story that you're remembering. And I probably remembered some of it wrong. So you correct me. So there was one member of our cast who was a dear friend of mine, is a dear friend of mine. And he happened to be gay. And I happened to be a member of my faith. And that's just who we were. But regardless of any difference that that might have put in between us, which I didn't see a lot because he was just awesome. He's just this cool Christian guy who was raised by this amazing family and he was super funny. And every time he made a joke, I was the first one to laugh. So we were just super great friends and loved each other to death. And then one day he came up to me and said, Sandra, I really think you need to go back to Utah, which I never even actually really lived in Utah. But I think everyone just assumes like, go back there. That's where the, the church That's where we're all from. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he's like, I really think you need to go back there and, and change your church and tell them to change their principles and everything about gay marriage in particular was his goal. And this is a touchy, touchy sub, subject, right? And yes. I remember my my stomach. I mean, it dropped through the floor because we had a, a fundamental religious difference between us at yes. that moment and life difference. And so I just said, "Oh, Kurt, I, I, I love you so much, but we believe different things on this and." I hope that that still doesn't have to change anything because I love you for everything that you are. I don't define you by one element of your life that might be different than mine. And we didn't talk for a couple of weeks and it was super awkward because we're back at the theater every single day. But he came up to me. I'll say that again. He came up to me on the stage one night and and he said, you know, Sandra, I have always kind of seen life as black and white. And I think that there's some gray. And I think there's room for you and I to live in that gray. Oh. And I'll never forget that because it reminded me that, yes, we can walk this path of life believing fundamentally opposite things than others. Yes. But we also can fundamentally love everybody, not just like, oh, I love you, but like truly and deeply love every human being that is living and doing life the way that they think they should and allowing them all of the space to do that and saying that maybe there's a lot of gray area that we're living and sharing together. Oh, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. And that he felt that love from you, that he was able to, first of all, say, because I feel so loved and accepted by you, you could be a voice for change. And then everyone could be like, you, you know, and, and then when you were like, well, but it's not about changing the doctrines. It's about changing our mindset with how we treat people. Mm-hmm. It's about changing the love and, 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 and our view of, well, this is right or wrong. And instead it's just love. Right. I will love you regardless. And there's probably a lot of opportunities you've had in your life since then. And I know in my life where it's easy to say, this is not right. We shouldn't be doing, and yet it's, but but that's not for me. We can hand that to the savior. He can judge and we can love. Yeah. Yeah. So after Broadway, you, did you come back to Utah? Did you live in New York for a few years? And then what propelled you to begin recording an album and releasing that? So this is, I think, a, a, a neat spot to talk about here because your podcast is called Doing Good. 
Yes. And I'm thinking that a lot of the times we talk about the doing big good. And what this the space that we're going to jump into here is doing little good. So I love that. Okay, so I went from big. I went from the thing that people want to ask me about. They want to talk about Broadway because that's fun. And I did good with God helping me and guiding me. I did a lot of good on stage and off stage. I will not even debate that. I will just claim it and say there was a lot of good that was done because God needed me there. Absolutely. And as that came to an end and I, I could see like Lamez was going to close, I was like, all right, awesome. We've already been trying as a couple to get pregnant for many years and I'm done. Lamez was so good. I'm retiring. And it was a clear like, thank you so much, Broadway, and goodbye. And oh. we stayed in, in New York City. We were working with incredible infertility doctors for a long time. So we continued on that quest. And in I... I those years were some of the hardest years of my life afterwards, after Lamez, after doing this big thing and being recognized for all of this greatness. It's kind of hard then to just not only just not be contributing a big thing, but actually almost to feel like I wasn't even contributing anything. I was just trying to become a mom desperately. And that one thing that I knew I was going to contribute at some point was being withheld from us for a period of time. And um, you know this whole story, and this is probably a whole different podcast. Um, oh, but I want you to touch on it a little. Okay. So we, we went through years and years of fertility treatment, and nothing seemed to work. A lot of miscarriages and difficulties and a lot of drugs that made me extra crazy, which nobody needs to see Sandra <laughs> extra crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly our hearts were both almost at the same time. My husband and I just softened and ready and super excited for the possibility to fill out some adoption papers and to consider that there was a mom out there that was going to have a baby somewhere someday who would want us and trust us to raise her child and to be not just and, and to become the parents of her child. So we filled out our adoption papers and pretty quickly we were selected by a birth mom um, to have her daughter. And we met her, we got her, we brought her home, little five pound, tiny, petite little baby who changed our life and filled our empty arms and filled our empty hearts. And 45 days later, it was actually 38 days later in the state of in the state of New York City, birth moms have 45 days to change their mind. And on day 38, she changed her mind and asked for her back. So we were left in the darkest place that I had ever been, and I still to this day have ever been in. Very painful. I don't know how to just touch on this without really Go into it. On it. Go into it. Um, and this was, it was 15 years ago. And usually I can tell this story now without crying, but there's something amazing about you, Carmen. <laughs> and knowing that I've, we've talked about this so much before, so much of who I am as a human, as a daughter of God, and as a disciple of Jesus Christ is because of the beautiful blessing of having a five pound baby girl in my arms for five weeks and then having her taken away. Because how do you experience something like that? I'll rephrase that. 
I couldn't have experienced something like that without turning to my God and to my Savior and saying, listen, I've heard all about this atonement thing my whole life. And I've used it when I've done naughty things. And I use it weekly when I'm needing to repent and wanting to repent. But right now, this whole atonement thing, I need to understand it differently because I am in more pain than I ever thought was spiritually possible. And I need you to lift this pain away from me and teach us and guide us. And in place of the pain, Christ put peace. And no one else could have done that. I could never have done that on my own. He did it. And he taught me about how his sacrifice was for all of my sins, yes, but also all of the pain that would be thrust upon me in my life. And he had me and he held me and he taught me so deeply at that time. This is one of my... (sighs) I don't want to say my most favorite stories or, or experiences because it's, it's not so much good came out of it, but it was such a painful thing. And, and listening to you tell it, I feel like I go through it with you again. And we've talked, we have talked about this before and I feel like I relive it with you, but hearing you talk about it and how you've turned to, to your savior for healing and peace and continue to do that is just, it's just so beautiful and just such a testament of who you are that you can, you were able to turn something so dark and, and find a way to reach out to the savior. Can you, can you tell us how you were able to do that? How were you able to turn to him and not turn away from him during that time? I think that five years of infertility had gotten us really practiced at praying uh, right. <laughs> and praying for the miracle and praying yeah. and, and with a lot of faith. But after literally bringing our little girl back to her birth mom and thinking that for a moment that it would be like Abraham bringing Isaac to the altar and that God ultimately told him, no, you don't. I don't want you to kill him. I asked you to, but I'm, I'm actually rescinding that. I don't. I know where your faith lies. When we brought her b- back to her birth mom, I kind of thought the birth mom, I didn't kind of think, I actually knew <laughs> the birth mom would say, oh, no, 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 I've made a mistake. You keep her. Yeah. But that didn't happen. And we, no. we walked away without her. And we walked away emptier than we ever thought possible and we returned home to our little apartment on the sixth floor in Manhattan and just fell into each other's arms. I will say my husband and I in prayer and in supplication for help. And then individually we fell into Heavenly Father's arms because there was no place else to go. And we had been taught that that's where you go. So we did it. And in those prayerful moments, I, I've, I've never prayed to God that the same way before or since. I've never been so bold. And I kind of look back and I'm like, I was maybe a little bit brash and bossy. But, <laughs> but I think God was just like, let me have it. Let yes. me have all of this. Tell me all of it and tell me what you think I should do. And I told him. I said, fix my broken body. 
whatever was wrong with it before, I know I've asked for this a million times, but whatever faith I'm lacking, will you make up the rest? Because I know you have faith and I know you can make this happen. Fix my broken body. And a couple months later, we went back to the doctors for whatever reason, just to kind of say, is there something else we could do? And they're like, well, you're already pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So that did not need to be the end of the story. That didn't. God did not need to make me pregnant. He did not need to fix my broken body, but he did. But he did. And I'm claiming that. And I run with that and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now we've got these four wild and crazy kids that Four, four kids mm-hmm. out of this heartache came the most beautiful blessings and they have been, I, I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, out of such heartache came came such joy. And you have said to me before, once we started having kids, we were like, now we just have to keep having them because right. my, my body's working. It's, and it's, working. Like, it's a generator. Like it's going, let's just keep it going. Like, let's just keep it. Let's keep doing it. For sure. So you had your first three pretty close together. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. First three in three years. And then, and then I feel like God was like, you can take a little breather here. It's going to still work. <laughs> I'm like, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. So three years later, three and a half years later, we had our last. And that was a healthy thing for, for me. <laughs> and that was a healthy thing for you. So he's like, it's okay. I'll, I will keep this working. Right. You had yeah. three, three years. And then your last ones, we were pregnant at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. My third and your fourth. Yes. And we just knew they would both be, well, you thought maybe it would be a boy and I thought mine would be a girl Uh (laughs) and you got the girl and I got the boy (laughs) the way it rolls (laughs) that's just the way it rolls and but you've had a really special connection to to your last one you have felt that she's got a really I mean all of your kids of course but I remember you telling me oh yeah she's got a really strong feisty spirit right oh she does and and I'm like my little Briggs and her must have been just besties in heaven like are you ready like are they ready for us okay here we come let's do this let's Let's set the world on fire let's set our let's turn our family's lives just into something really amazing and crazy but how had how did motherhood change your, your artistic trajectory? I mean, of, mm. of, you know, recording albums and, and doing that. Did you feel like, okay, you talked about doing little good mm-hmm. during this time. This was the pause where now you're a mother. Was it hard to say, to walk away from the big good? And now, mm-hmm. do the, because most of us, are just not just mothers. Most of us are are, are doing the little good in yeah. our little homes, yep. in our little families yep. that that nobody sees but us. Right. Except God. Right. Of course. Yeah. And and so was that hard to to change that mindset of but this is just as important, if not more important, the the little good that I'm mm-hmm. doing here and, and to feel as fulfilled. Right. So I, it just depends on the day. Um, I feel like there's certain days where I'm like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right here in this home. There is no place else God needs me right now. And I feel so 
I don't feel like I'm killing it. I don't feel like I'm doing a great job all the time, but I feel like, yep, this is exactly where you want me. I'm here. You got me here. This is great. And other times I'll let my mind wander just a little bit and think, okay, well, I I did kind of, you know, do some big things and you did kind of give me a, a big talent. And should I go back and do that? So for like, like from after Les Mis, then taking many years off, then recording some albums with Deseret Book and touring around with Time Out for Women. And then also feeling very clearly after, I think it was four years of doing that, I, I was just very clear, like, that was really good, Sandra. Thank you. And now you need to be home. And I just am like, okay, that's awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm going home. And not that I wasn't home. You, you know what I mean? It was, yes. But it was just turn off that part for a while, because even if you're not out on stage performing, you're still needing to think about using this talent. And it's taking a lot of your time in the day. And just let let go of that for a little while. And I'll yeah. just listen to those things and say, all right, that phase is over now. And so for the last three years, I think it's been, I have been home. And cultivating the talents of these kids that are, like I said at the beginning, they're just blowing my mind what they're able to do. And sometimes I I do let my brain slip into like, well, but I'm talented. Where's my <laughs> turn? Right. <laughs> but most of the time, it really truly is right now. Like, Sandra, enjoy this. Keep on feeding these kids. Keep on fueling them. Build their talents. You might have some other things that I need you to do yet but who cares right now? This is what's important. So I, I feel like one of the things, like one of the talents that he gave me was not just the singing voice, but just the communicative voice on stage, off stage or whatever. So I feel like on stage to be able to communicate a story, uh, effectively. Yes. It's powerful, but I feel like in my home to be able to communicate a scripture story, a, a spiritual concept, a piece of doctrine to my children, I'd rather be far more talented at that than anything on stage. And I feel yes. like God has kind of funneled all of that energy that I used to put into telling a, or giving a really, really great song story. Yes. Just, no presentation. Exactly. And now he's just like, here, I'm going to like help you put all of that into an, an, a unique ability to continue to talk to your children about my gospel, my doctrine in just the way that you can say it. And in just the way that these four kids need to start learning it and hearing it. Oh, I love that so much that I did a podcast with Whitney Perman from Mercy River and Mm, a little while ago. She's amazing. And she said something that honestly changed because I'm, I'm the same as you. I thought, well, wait a minute. Why, why was I blessed with all of this to do it for this short period of time. And then, you know, and now I'm a mom forever, you know, (laughs) like we have this little, we're, and, and you hear people talk about, oh, cultivate your talents and use your talents. But I had also felt the call, oh, but, but my children need me. And am I neglecting then my talents by not trying? And then every time I would try to do something, it wouldn't work out. My husband would so wisely say, that's because it's not the right time. It's not, you need to step back. But she said something that really hit me. She said, anyone can step in and fill, I feel like that talented role. She's like, I am not the only talented singer speaker in the world. Mm -hmm. There are so many other women that can fill that role of being a talented musician, singer, speaker. No one else can fill the role of being my child's mother. 
That's it. <laughs> That's it. And that for me, it was like, bing, light bulb. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, no one else can be my boy's mother but me. Nobody. Yep. But people can speak. They can do this podcast. They can do anything else. Yeah. Heavenly Father can use their talents and say, you're going to fill this role for a while. But oh, but right now, your kids, you are the only one that can do that. For and sure. that changed my whole mindset of, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? It's right. like, of course. Yes, I am. Right. And then there are, I'm sure, others who can do both and who are called to do both at the same time. At, yes. I and think God knows my capacity. And he's like, listen, in your brain, you can only handle one or the other. So <laughs> Exactly. And we did that. We had babies during our speaking and, and we had children at home and it was, it was okay to do that. And maybe there were people that needed to hear that at that time. Maybe mm-hmm. we needed to be together during that right. time and right. learn from each other. There's you know, there's seasons of life. Absolutely. And there's people that heavenly father can say, Oh, but I, it's some, some women have said, I have young kids and I have felt a call to do this work and to do this. And I'm like, wait, but I have young kids. So I think the important thing is, is to just do exactly what you did and to stay close to the spirit and then be able to act on that and listen. And, and Mm -hmm. I want to ask how you are able to do that. How were you able to be like, okay, it's not my time perfect because I fight back a lot. And I'm like, wait, no, it's still the time. I still, And then when it starts all falling apart, it's like, okay, I guess you were right. Again, always as usual. <laughs> I should just learn to trust that from by now. But how do you just immediately, it's like, you're like, you say something and you just do it. Is that something you have been blessed with or something that you have learned how to do over time? I think, yeah, I'll just say it. I think that's just a, a, one of the spiritual gifts that God gave me to say that, you know, when I'm, when I'm going to talk to you, Sandra, you're going to listen and you're going to do it. And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Let's do that. And you go all in. I, I do. I am very, like, I, I, I call myself pretty much kamikaze. Like it's, it's like <laughs> all, all one way or all the other. I, I can just kind of turn things off and on. Um, my sweet husband is, we were, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I was just explaining <laughs> just kind of an understanding of myself that I really do. Like if, if something's done, I'm just done with it. And he goes, well, are you ever going to just be done with me? And I was like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, that's a forever. That's a forever, ever and ever. And through the eons, it's the other things. And, <laughs> you know, like performing on stage or yes. whatever, like eating sugar. If, if my doctor says don't do it, I'm like, okay, I'm done. And I'll just turn it off. Or I, I cannot <laughs> even, I cannot even imagine that. And, and you have, you have been off sugar for years mm, uh, yeah. now. Six. Yeah, six years because your doctor said, "Hey, you are maybe have a a, a predisposition a disposition to be pre diabetic. You're, yep. you're heading down that path, and you're like, okay, then I won't eat sugar, and yeah. you just literally stopped. Yes, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I I want to talk about how you've been able to do that. You've recently, well, not recently, but you have been off social media, mm. and you were able to just say, this is not right for me. I'm not going to do this, and you just boom went off. Done. Now, as an artist, we, especially in this day and age, we've kind of grown into the social media thing. Like it wasn't 
as big when you went like back in 2002, 2003, nobody had Instagram. No, like, no. Facebook was barely a thing. There was like MySpace, remember? <laughs> I had like a MySpace page. It wasn't, you didn't promote yourself. You weren't, mm-hmm. you had a company that did that for you. You didn't create that for yourself. And now it's like, oh, that is expected. If you yes. want to stay relevant, you have to have a social media page. You have to be active. You have to be filming yourself eating your kefir in a giant bowl and why. I mean, it's like, why do people care about this? I don't know, but they do and you have to be posting it. Mm-hmm. You decided how many years ago that you were going to go off. Tell me why you made that decision and the consequences, positive and negative, that yeah. you seen from that. So it was about two and a half or three years ago that I just, I, I, I was honest with my mind. I started to know what thoughts I was thinking while I was on Instagram in particular, because that's kind of really the the platform that I used and w- what my thoughts were while I was not on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want you to be more specific on okay. that. Yeah. I will tell you my specific, oh, my specific thoughts, right? Like I was thinking during the day while I was doing normal activities, I was thinking in Instagram captions. Oh. I was thinking how am I going to phrase this when I post this on Instagram? What type of witty and fun thing could I put as my caption? And like pre-planning like the instances that would be post-worthy, capturable and post-worthy, right? Instead of, and instead of just living them, instead of just feeling them, and when I w- came on to myself like that and was honest, I was like, wait a second. How can I be living and enjoying this life with these children that I adore and this handsome husband who is awesome and all of the fun things that we're doing and creating as a group when my brain, half of it, if not most of it, is thinking about how I'm going to pitch this, how I'm going to tell this story to somebody else? Why can't I just live the story? Oh, my goodness. So. I just said, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Let me go off of it for a little while and just see what it feels like to not be doing that. See if I can get that out of my system. And one phrase that I've always lived by is purify my motives. It it was a phrase that was uttered to me in my patriarchal blessing to purify your motives. So as Mm -hmm. I pulled back, it was like, what is my motive for being on social media? Yeah. Specifically, I mean, this is two and a half, three years ago when I really started to pull away that I was not trying to push a product. I was not an artist on any stage at that point. That was one of the times where I was done with Time Out for Women. I was back home being a mom to four kids. And I'm like, what is my motive here? Like, what what do people really need to learn from me and do, am I on here because I need people to give me the likes and I need to give them me to hear the claps that I'm not hearing when I'm on stage? Oh, interesting. I don't, the claps, the claps. Mm. And the, wow, that was so good, Sandra, because I spent a lot of my life. Your voice is amazing, Sandra. That was incredible, Sandra. And then to go back home and to turn, you know, not be on stage, my kids are not telling me, you're incredible, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it's you're the worst exactly. mom in the world. Yep, the handwritten notes. You are the worst mom 
ever. All misspelled. <laughs> I got one of those last week. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. and you keep those. Forever. I do. I do. I actually usually take pictures of them. And it used to be something that I would post on it. You would post. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just keep them for myself. Right. So that's so interesting that you say that. It makes so much sense that we do when we hear this is amazing. You're so wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. The claps and the likes mm-hmm. that we all are kind of craving that. And yet, yeah. does it really, it's like an artificial filling of your bucket. It doesn't mm-hmm. really, it's like empty accolades. It mm-hmm. doesn't stick and doesn't sustain. Right. It doesn't ever fulfill. You keep, you need more, 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 more. It's yeah. never enough. Right. Because the only person that can love me besides God, and he does, is me. So the only person who could ever clap for me enough would be me to have thoughts in my head that say, Sandra, you are completely worthy as you are right now. Sandra, what you've done today, whether it was an awesome day of a spotless house and perfect children and everything going great, or mostly the opposite of messiness. And, uh, you guys wanted dinner. I didn't make that, (laughs) you know, like those types of days or, or the worst ones for me of depression or anxiety where I'm like, I can't, I just, I, I, whatever to accept even those bad days and say, this is, you, I still love you, Sandra, me to myself. Yes. I still love all of it. Yes. To all of it. Yes. To me. Yes. To my good sides. Yes. To my bad. Nobody else could ever put enough heart emojis on any type of screen that would ever make me feel that love for myself. I'm the only one that could do that for me. So I had, I, I, I have come to such an, a massive realization and I don't know if staying off social media is something I'll do for the rest of my life. I know that I learned a ton. I have learned a ton. I know that I broke an addiction. I know that I've learned to curate the influences in my life and seek them out in different ways. Because one thing that I have absolutely missed on social media is that people post amazing things, yes, documents and, and quotes and thoughts that I'm like, oh my goodness, that changed my life. Reading that quote that somebody posted on their Instagram feed. And I miss that desperately. But I am also, if I'm choosing not to be part of that, I am capable to research myself. And to yes. seek after the topics that are fascinating me and to find the scriptures, the brilliant thinkers in the world, the people that have something to offer, I can find it in a different way. Yes, right. absolutely. Yes. There's just so much I agree with and, and love about what you said. And I think it's really brave to be able to recognize, oh, this isn't good for me. And so I'm going, and like you said, you're kamikaze, like, okay, all in, all out. And yep. to be like, whoop, whiplash, switcheroo, like, okay, right. I'm just going off. I'm right. just not going yeah. to participate. Right. And let me like, actually just be really clear. This is, I'm not sharing any of this to say, please do as I'm doing. Like this right. is so, like, like throw this out. If this is a thought that makes anybody cringe, just throw it out. It's just what's working for me right now. It's the good that's happening for me right now and allowing me to access my full self 
And again, I will say, I don't know what that's going to look like in the future. If I have a new project that I need to promote yeah. or, or, or just some sort of voice that God says, I need you to be writing this and to share this. I will, again, I'll be all, all back in, Yes, um, but hopefully in a healthier way. If I ever do re-enter it, hopefully I will hold on to the things that I've learned as I've stepped away and be able to enter back in and be like, I'm keeping myself this time. I love that. I'm keeping myself. And mm -hmm. that really is with anything we do, like you said, what are our motives? I think that's a really good thing to mm -hmm. think about. I, I do you genuinely want to share things that are uplifting for other people to benefit, or maybe it's just to stay connected to family members that live in different countries and different areas of our country or that are going through hard things. And we'll look at what we're doing and Hey, this is so great. Social media can be a great way to stay connected to people Amazing. and it what can a be gift, right? What, what a, a gift. gift it has been. Yes. And it can be very uplifting. Of course, Satan takes anything that has the potential for good and flips it. And there's always a negative side to things. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and it's up to us to be able, you know, to navigate that. And I think that you've done that in such a good way and, and a, and a healthy way for you. And it's been inspirational for me because I'm the same. I have to think, what are my motives for posting? And also what are, are my motives for being on there? Am I comparing myself more than I'm being uplifted? Because if I get off and I'm just thinking about, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible this. Mm -hmm. Then it's not serving me in any way for just no to make way. Me bad about myself. Mm -hmm. But if, if I get on there, I'm like, wow, that recipe and wow, that quote and oh, look how they're doing. Come follow me. That's inspiring. Then that's great. Right. So I think you really have to know yourself and know, okay, what's going to be good for me. Right. I kind of feel like I be, I'm the same as you. I, I, I made my page public and then I immediately went back <laughs> to private. Like, wait a minute, I can't handle all the comments and all the people saying all the things and and I don't have the the mind space for arguments or to justify or I just can't do that. Like mm -hmm. I have a hard enough time explaining to my kids, this is why you're eating your carrots, you know, like <laughs> just this is why. And so if I'm explaining myself all the time, well, this is why I posted this and well, this is why I think of that. Oh, it's just it's too draining for me. Other people have that capacity and they can do that. And yep. for me, it's like, oh, it's yep. too much. Right. I think maybe it's also like just really smart to just consider that this social media is just a tool. Yes. It's, it's not our self-esteem. It's not us. And we're not, it's not there for us to tell the story of our life. It should be used as a tool. And however that's used, it's like a hammer. Like, if, like we knew what, we know what a hammer's for. If you're going to use a hammer, you're going to pick it up for a very specific reason. You're not going to flail it around <laughs> and, and hurt yourself and all the other people around you, right? Very true. Yes. That's for so, a purpose. It's for a purpose. So if you're picking up your phone, and this is what I'm teaching my oldest daughter, who we have allowed to start on social media. I'm like, this is just a tool. If you're picking up your phone to use this tool, know why you're picking it up, what you intend to use it for, and when you're going to put it back down. And I think it really helps her just to say, yeah, this is a place for me to put to put this piece of music that I've written. And, now, yes. and then I put it down. Yes. To use it for good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for good. For good. So... Mm -hmm. As we wrap this up, and I, we could really talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I told, I told Sandra when I when I emailed you, I said, 
plan for three hours. <laughs> and then our poor editor <laughs> will have to edit. Because we really do. And and we we really could just talk forever. And I just I have I glean so much wisdom from you. And I just feel like, oh, really, these podcasts are selfish. It's let me just learn as much as I can from the person <laughs> I'm talking with to help me in my life. I feel like, yes, all of the big good was for a purpose and a reason and a time, but but you are doing so much little good behind the scenes and have and have blessed so many people's lives just by being a friend, just by being you. So to to end this podcast, I want to know what have you loved the most about doing good? What what do you love the most about sharing your talents, whether it, it's in the big way or the little way? That's easy. It's meeting friends like you and all of the other humans that God has blessed me to get to know and to feel their hearts and their spirits. When we're doing good, whether it's huge mammoth things or the tiny little things, if we're doing them the way he wants us to, I think, it's just to help connect us to other people so that we can learn from them. We can feel a bit of their spirit and a bit of their journey. Never all of it, because how can we ever really know all of somebody? But to know, like to know your heart, Carmen, and to know um, your struggles and to know your strength, that just lifts my life. That that, And it makes me feel like Heavenly Father is pretty darn awesome that he made so many incredible humans. He's so awesome that he allowed all of us to come down here and just be exactly who we are. I love meeting any human being who comes into the circle of my life. And I want to know what's making them move each day. What's making, do they have any connection to the spirit? Do they have any connection to heavenly father? Maybe, maybe not. Why? What's going on in their life? God allows us as we do whatever we're doing to learn through other people and to become closer to him and to even cheesily, I'll say, to love another person. We get to know him. We get to see the face of God. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sandra. Honestly, you are just such a light in my life. And I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast today to share a little bit of your spirit with other people and to share a little bit about who you are. And I couldn't agree more that the whole purpose of this podcast is to, is to share and, and, and highlight and showcase people that are doing amazing things that are doing good. And the people that motivate me the most are the ones I can look at and see the savior. And I don't look at them and wish I was them or, or am jealous of them. Or it's, it's when it's almost like they just become a reflection of his love. And, and I, and I see the savior through their eyes. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to teach my kids Mm -hmm. to be is, was when someone looks at you, they don't see you for how amazing you are, but they see how amazing heavenly father is through you. Yes. And that's who, that's when I talk with you and look at you, I feel closer to the Savior. So thank you so much for being that person in my life Mm. and for all of the good you are doing. I love you. I love you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. Our Turtle House is a digital membership site with content your whole family will love. From exclusive full-length talks from some of your favorite speakers like Hank Smith, Meg Johnson, and John By the Way, to podcasts where they answer your questions. 
There's even daily devotionals made specifically for your teenagers. For more information or to get your first month for less than a dollar, go to ourturtlehouse.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.